we want to uh, press our minds into God's Word and specifically uh, about what joy is all about as God's Word uh, uh, not only challenges us and confronts our understandings uh, and our, our struggles with joy in this life, but helps us to experience it. And I want us to begin with a word of prayer. Father, we can only imagine what this world was like when you created it and, and, and pronounced it to be tov, to be good. And we think about the greatness of that relationship that existed between you and the first man, between you and Adam, in which both of you walked together on this planet, Father, that was good and enjoyed each other's company. And, and the great joy that, that, that creation and, and all of, 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 of the created universe, the great joy, the great anthem of joy that, was, that would burst forth in song as, as creation and your creatures would praise you for the greatness of your presence and being and compassion and mercy and love. And yet we live this moment in a fallen world that we know grieves your heart. And yet you have given us the the stabs of joy throughout our lives, Father, where we sense that there is is something beyond the, the cruelty, there is something beyond the meanness and the violence that seems to be so pervasive in this world. We pray, Father, to be sensitive not only to Your Word and to Your presence, but to be reminded in those moments of joy, Father, that come to us that the relationship that we have with You in Your kingdom, in Your eternal family, is not dour and and spiritless and joyless, Father, but it is full of joy. And we pray, Father, that we transcend all of these, these momentary tribulations and and burdens that we have on our heart, Father. That we transcend that by Your Word and by Your Spirit in such a way, Father, that we see in the distance the greatness of Your kingdom and its eternal joy that awaits us, Father, at that time when we see You face to face. So, Father, tonight we ask that You give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The older I get, the more I learn the truth and the power of this statement. Never underestimate the power of joy. Never underestimate the power of joy. One of the most incredible things, I think, about joy, aside from the fact that it is produced by God in His people, is that that joy can come to us in such powerful ways in moments that we do not always anticipate. It comes to us in, in sometimes in, in, in the darkest of nights. Sometimes it comes to us in, in, the, in the deepest of, of, of depths. But come, it's still, it, it, it comes still. We never underestimate the power of joy. The experience of that joy became the door that opened up the faith to C.S. Lewis. Better yet, as he writes about joy in his own life, when he was 56 years old, he wrote uh, a little book called Surprised by Joy, which was the, uh, the, the sort of the biography 
the autobiography of his coming to faith. And by his own admission, in reading autobiographies throughout his life, he never thought that the later years of somebody's life were nearly as... And, and, and again, it's just a, a, a call on it, you know, his, his own taste in autobiographies. But he always thought that the early years were the ones that were most interesting. And so Surprised by Joy has some, some facts about his life, but it's really about the, the, the traveling in those early years from, from atheism to theism to, to the faith. And he said that the experience of joy became to him uh, a signpost of sorts, the kind of signpost that pops up to those that are lost in the woods. And that experience of joy pointed to him or for him to something that was higher and something that was beyond him. And as he thought about joy and the place of joy and how joy was generated and where it came from, he made the journey from atheism to theism and from theism to faith. And then he writes, I was driven to Whipsnade one Sunday morning when we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. Yet I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. Emotional is perhaps the last word we can apply to some of the most important events. It was more like when a man, after a long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. And Lewis would say his thoughts about joy and where it came from were the beginning of that. A fellow by the name of Pascal, you know, you know the French mathematical genius, died at a very early age in 1662. He was 31 years old and had spent the first 31 years of his life running from God. And at 31 years of age, on November 23, 1654, he felt the, all of the emotion and all of the joy of being converted, his sins being forgiven, of being in relationship with God. He felt all of the joy of conversion to Jesus of Nazareth. And sometime later, he took a piece of parchment, sewed it into his coat, where it was found where he, after he died eight years later. And on it was a description of that night at 31 years of age, what he felt at his conversion. Pascal wrote, Year of Grace, 1654, Monday, 23rd November, from about half past ten at night to about half an hour after midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars, certitude, heartfelt joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, joy, joy, joy. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, may I never be separated from Him. End of quote. One of the great misunderstandings of our faith and of our life together in the kingdom of God as a church, as the bride of Christ, is that it is a dour, joyless religion. It is a dour, joyless community of faith. It is a dour, joyless existence. And nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, if you get a concordance out and you look up the word joy, you begin to see that the Bible is just sprinkled with joy from the beginning to the end, from Genesis all the way to the maps. Let me give you a couple of ways that joy is described in the Bible. Number one, joy is a gift from Jesus to His people. When you become a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, one of the things, one of the byproducts of that conversion from darkness to light, that transference from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, is that joy becomes a gift from Jesus to you. Joy in your life. In John chapter 15, verse 11, He says, I have told you this so that, you, so that my joy 
may be in you and that your joy may be complete. When you trust God profoundly, the project of trusting God is joy. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, joy is one of the lead values of the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God, Paul writes, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and, say it, joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy is the product of God's Holy Spirit residing in us and developing us and growing us organically. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. A verse that all of our children have, have memorized in, in, in elementary school and in preschool over the last couple of weeks. A verse that all of us should memorize. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And the second one is joy. Joy was one of the goals of the ministry of the apostles to believers. One of the personal challenges in thinking about joy this last week is that one of the things that the shepherds of this church and the ministry staff and the deacons and all of the teachers and anybody that does ministry in this church to people is to have as a goal of the ministry that we perform on behalf of God is, is to bring about the product of joy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24, Paul says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Because it's by faith that you stand firm. Becoming a Christian is such a joyful experience that it's worth forfeiting everything else. It's, it's, it, it, it can be dramatic. Like Blaise Pascal. It can not be so dramatic as, as Lewis on his way to the zoo, figuring out that you know, by the time he got to the zoo that he deeply believed in faith that Jesus was the Son of God. But one of the things that Jesus tried to get into the minds of people is He talked about the greatness of the kingdom of God and what it meant to be in the kingdom, the kingdom in you, is that it's like a hidden treasure in a field. Matthew chapter 13. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. In Psalm 19, joy is sustained by God's Word. If you're finding that, that joy is not one of the ways that you would necessarily describe your relationship with God presently in a day-to-day in -day walk, maybe one of the things that you need to do is, is to, to reorient your mind to God's Word. In Psalm 19, verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, David says, giving joy to the heart. In this life, this fallen world, this life that we experience that is full of the, curses of Genesis, the curse of Genesis 3, of the thorns and the thistles, the greatness of the power of God is seen in regardless of the sorrow that we experience and the, and the tragic, tragedy and the grief and, and the pain that comes into our life. There is a joy that can trump that. Joy overcomes sorrow. Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may re remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. And the psalmist is not trying to say that, that when you cry, and you cry your heart out, and you weep because of a tragedy, because of a loss, because of pain, or a fear that has come into your life, that that's wrong. The Bible never says that grief is a, is a terrible thing at all. In fact, grief is one of the things that Jesus Himself experienced at the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus in, in John chapter 11. 
But part of the power, the great power of God working in your life is that that joy will come. Even though, even though you weep during the night, even though your present songs are songs of tragedy and of pain, the joy will blossom. The joy will come. In Psalm 4, verse 7, God's joy is greater than the earthly version. One of the things that Lewis would say is that, is that the, the way that our desires and our appetites are met in the world right now at a very visceral, physical level is, just, is, 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 is not to satisfy, but to remind us that there's something greater that is out there. That there is, that there is a, a, a greater joy, a greater peace. In fact, if you think about the way that it's described in the New Testament, Peter talks about a joy, but it's not a joy that he can really describe with, with human words, and he calls it an inexpressible joy. It's a joy that, that comes. Paul says the same thing about, in Philippians chapter, uh, uh, chapter 4 about peace. It's a peace that passes understanding. And so David says in Psalm 4, you, four, you have filled my heart with greater joy than when grain and new wine abound. You know, in the day of David, one of the greatest things that you could experience because there were no HEBs, there were no Safeways, there were no Walmarts, there were no places that you could just go down and, and buy food. There were no fast food places. And when you lived in, in a community where, where food was something that you thought about every day, in an agrarian society where you, you wanted sun and you wanted rain and you wanted good soil and you had to have the abundance of all of these products, of the seed of the, going into the ground, bearing forth its fruit, you knew that you were going to survive. You knew that, that because of the bounty of the land that you were going to be able to live and you were going to be able to support your family. It was a happy day. In fact, one of the great festivals of the Old Testament was the Feast of First Fruits. The harvest. And David says, as great as that is, greater yet is the joy that you fill my heart with, God. In John chapter 16, Jesus says something very, very important to the disciples who think that they're about to see their world collapse. They want Jesus, as we talked about this morning, they want to see Jesus take matters into His own hands. They want, they want to see Him take, take over, take control, and, and for Him to come into His kingdom. And yet, even to the very end, Jesus is trying to help them to understand that the kingdom that they think and the kingdom that is and the kingdom that will come is different. And He says, but know this, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. The Gospel of Jesus is good news of great joy. In Luke chapter 2, the angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And there's just something about a heart that is filled with God's joy. That, a joy that can never be taken away. A joy that is the product of the Spirit. A joy that comes because of, of knowing that you are adopted by God and God's Spirit in you helps you to understand the fact that you have this Abba Father relationship with God. That you are His Son and the heir of all things. And when people see that that kind of joy evangelizes, that kind of joy 
begins to, 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 to spark and to trigger questions in people's lives. Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 33, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Psalm 32, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous, sing all of you who are upright in heart. Joy is something that just exudes from, from the life of a, of a disciple. And what is at stake when we think about joy is not just our state of well-being. It's not the, the emotion of joy alone, but the glory of God, the honor and the reputation of God. If we do not rejoice in God, if, if joy is not part and, uh, and, and, and a peace, at least, of what people see in our relationship with God, if God is not our treasure and our delight and our satisfaction, then He is dishonored. And His glory is belittled and His reputation is tarnished as a blesser and a lover and a father. And this is why joy is fundamental in, in any kind of Christian talk of Christian attitude. Paul in, in Philippians tells those folk in Philippi to rejoice 17 times in the letter. To rejoice, to rejoice, to rejoice. Not a worldly rejoicing, not a worldly spin on, on life, but to rejoice in all of the greatness of the things that God has bountifully poured and blessed your life with. A great writer uh, that uh, died two years ago, a fellow by the name of Dallas Willard, in writing about joy, says that joy is not pleasure. Joy is not a mere sensation, but a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. Now, that's a good start. But I think that John MacArthur hits it on the head when he says that Christian joy is the sense of well-being that springs from the deep-down confidence that everything important is taken care of by God. It is feeling okay, good, on top, positive, triumphant, victorious, but not because of circumstances. It is feeling okay and good and on top and positive and triumphant and victorious because God is in charge of everything, including your life. And so how do you wake up that joy in your life? Well, I, I'm, just, I'm going to be very personal here and just give you a couple of things that... that that stand out when I think about my, my attempts and, and my endeavors to try to, to, to be a joyful disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. And one of the things that stands out is what, what wakes up joy in, in my life is knowing God's character and nature. Joy starts because I know that God is sovereign and that He is gracious and that He is loving and merciful and kind and omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. And He has, with all of that power and that might and that good intention, He has my well-being at heart. Joy starts right there in knowing God as your Father. You can rejoice in whatever circumstance because you know God and God knows you. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we know that in all things God works for the good. Not that all things are good, feel good, taste good. But that God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purposes. I'm not always going to rejoice in my circumstances. 
but I can rejoice with my God because I know Him and what He purposes for my life. God has invested so much in us, church. That, that Spirit, uh, you've heard me talk about this before. Uh, one of the most astonishing things to me when I think about it and allow my mind to begin to creep around the edges of trying to get around it is that first chapter of Ephesians where Paul, before he can say anything that addresses the theological problems of those folks in, in Ephesus and their problems of loving one another and understanding the power of the gospel and tearing down the walls of enmity between all kinds of people and that our, our, our natural number as a community of faith and the children of God is that we are one. He just opens up that letter and begins to talk about all of the great things that God has done and all of the great things that, the, that, that Jesus has done. And he finishes out that first chapter with a prayer. But before he gets there, he says, these are the things that the Spirit has done. God has put His Spirit in you as earnest money. God has put His Spirit in you as earnest money, as a guarantee. When we first moved to San Antonio, Anna Kay took us all around. We, we, we looked for houses, finally decided on one that we wanted. She said, oh, by the way, as we're getting, on, uh, getting out of the car and getting ready to fly back to Kansas, she said, you know, we need probably some money for earnest money. And I said, what's that? And she said, well, it's, it's money that's made in, uh, in pledge that you're really serious about this deal. I said, how much? She said, you got $500? I said, here, sure, take it. <laughs> and I gave her the earnest money. And she said, oh, by the way, that house you said that you wanted, I'm going to give them the $500. And if you decide that you don't want to take it, guess what? You lose the $500. I said, it's just so much sunshine, you know, <laughs> buying a house. But then you think about the fact that God has done that. When you become a child of God, God puts His Spirit in you as a guarantee. As a guarantee. Of all of those promises that He has made in Christ Jesus. That they will all come true. That you don't have to get to the end of time. That you don't get to the end of life. That you don't get to the end of your days and begin to wonder, I wonder if God is going to come through with all of these things that He has promised in Christ. Am I really saved? Am I really a son? Is there really a life, a resurrected life at the end of all of this that I know? Is death really an enemy that has not been defeated? Or has it been defeated? Is His grace true? And I am His Son. Before you get to that point, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, and for all of us today, he says, God has put His Spirit in you. A promise as a guarantee of these things to come. And what that means is that if on any of these promises that are made in Christ Jesus, any of God's Word that does not come true that He reneges on, He says, you know what, I was just kidding. I didn't really mean that. Or it was just, you know, it was just something I was saying. If He does that, then He means He loses His Holy Spirit. And what does it mean for God to lose His Holy Spirit? He stops being God. Now the profoundness of that when you think about what God has invested in your life to make sure all of the promises, to give you confidence, to, 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 to make sure that you realize that even in the deepest of the depths, as you feel like you have just plummeted off of the precipice and that you're falling and falling and falling, He will be there to catch you. He will be faithful to you. The forgiveness is there. The grace is there. His Spirit is there to strengthen you in the inner man. All of these, your Spirit... Uh, his Spirit in you testifies to the fact that you are His Son, His daughter, His child. 
And regardless of what it is that you face in this life, in Romans chapter 8, whether it's a sword or any kind of a famine, there is nothing that separates you from that. Is that not joyful? God does not have lapses in His abilities. He is not like Nelly Cruz or Mike Trout or David Ortiz who strike out sometimes and hit home runs at other times. No, the consistency of God's character awakens joy in my heart in spite of my circumstances because of the greatness of His nature. But then number two, appreciate the work of Christ. I mean that in the classical sense of savoring, of tasting, of gnawing on what Christ has done for you that you needed desperately to have done for you that you could not do for yourself. Joy is the proper act of appreciation for the work of Jesus in saving you from your sins and giving you a new life. I I love to go out into the woods. I love to go out into the woods. And one of the things that happens when I'm out there among the trees and you see those red cardinals and and you you see those jackrabbits and you see them playing and you see the trees and you smell the smells of 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 the forest and the earth, one of the things that happens is you slow down and you get the urban and the city out of you and you begin to think about God's creation. You're out of man's architecture and you're God's architecture that you slow down and you begin to see the beauty of God's creative work in the world. And as you look, you begin to look. And as you begin to look, you begin to see. And as you begin to see, you begin to rejoice in the greatness of a God who created all of this But he said, you know, I'm going to not kick you to the curb because of rebellion. I'm not going to toss you out because of your sin. But my son is going to bear your burden. And he's going to take on to himself everything that you deserve so that you can get everything that he deserves. And as you begin to contemplate that in nature and your, your mind deepens with thoughts of God and you begin to think about the greatness of God and the creativity of God and the love of God and the beauty of God, the majesty of God, the holiness of God, at some point you begin to see the love of God. When Philip goes to Samaria, he goes to a city that is dominated like they all were by evil and by darkness. And Acts chapter 8 says that he proclaimed Christ and the people were delivered from sin and illnesses and spirits so that in verse 8 of chapter 8, there was great joy in that city. Number three, live by the Spirit. To live by the Spirit is to be guided by God's Word as it is, and, and to be sanctified. That is, to be made holy by the God's Spirit that is put in you. You know that you are living by the Spirit when your understanding of God's Word and what you yearn for in this life are not in conflict. And there is fruit that you bear in your life as a result of God's Word maturing in your life through the help of His Spirit who lives in you. Choose every day to walk by the Spirit. It's not going to, you know, it's not like you take a maturity pill and the next thing you know, well, you know, I'm kind of mature right now. It's, 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 it's a, a, a growth through space and time. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, it's, it's like being a plant. That when you root yourself 
in, in the best of soils and the best of foods and, and, and the best of the waters, the cleanest of waters, is, is given to those roots, what happens is you naturally, by the very nature of who you are in Christ, you begin to, you begin to grow up and you begin to blossom. And it's love and joy and peace and faithfulness and kindness and gentleness. That is what Paul is addressing in Galatians chapter 5 and in, in verse 22 when he says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And then number four, count your blessings. Rejoicing is the reasonable and natural consequence of never-ending blessings. Do you believe that? Rejoicing is the reasonable and natural consequence of never-ending blessings. The blessings of God never stop. You know what the problem is? We just don't see them. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Blessed, He has blessed us, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have every spiritual blessing you need in Christ. Blessings are poured out on you constantly. Do you ever just sort of sit back at times and just, and just count them? You just write them down. I ate today. I arrived home safely today. You just begin writing them down. And the next thing you know, you begin to see that God really is intersect, intersecting your life. And the proof of it is, one of the proofs of it is, is that you begin to see all of His promises coming true in your life. And then finally... And this is probably one that, uh, that has come to me in, in maybe the last decade or so, but it's count the blessings of other people. And, and I don't mean that in the least in a, in a comparative, competitive kind of way. Like, you know, I counted Ben Bailey's blessings. He only had six today. I had ten. I win. That's not what I mean. But I think the older you get, and, and, and there is... Um, uh, a, a, a graceful way that I think that this happens, a gracious way that this happens in your life. But you just, you just begin to be joyful when you see joy in other people's lives. I want to tell you one of the greatest things, and I, and I don't know if I, I saw it 30 years ago, but one of the greatest things about being in ministry and opening the Word of God up to people that you're in relationship with is when you're there on the day their kids get married. Or when those kids are born. Or, or when somebody graduates from something or somebody achieves something or somebody experiences something that's so wonderful in life. Somebody, somebody meets a goal. There's just so much joy that comes to us if we allow it. There's so much joy that comes to us if we allow ourselves to be joyful because of, the, of God's work in other people's lives. Every time somebody's baptized, clap. Every time somebody is baptized, joy in the kingdom of God. 
Every time somebody's baptized, we join with the multitude of angels in rejoicing in the greatness of what it means for a human being who has fallen and has, has been dominated by sin and enslaved to sin to make that decision in faith, to trust what Jesus has accomplished and to say, no more of this darkness. I want light regardless of the cost and I will align, I will align my life with the kingdom of God and God's will. Sins washed away. God's Spirit entering into that person. Rejoice with the angels. It's not competitive. It's not comparative. It's just getting to that place where the joy that you have is so great and so profound that you want to share it. You don't want to hoard it. You want to share it. It's a vision of heaven. And you really understand what it means for there to be no death and no cancer and no racism and no oppression and no injustice. And your vision, the biblical vision, God's Word, the vision that is generated from God's Word on, on what all of eternity is going to look like. It fills us with such joy and the greatness of God's love, and what His mercy is all about. That that's not a joy that we want to hoard. It's not one that we want to you know, encapsulate like, like, like a, a lobster shell. But it's something that we want to spread. And that's one of the ways that we become light in this city. Is in the joy that, like Philip had, had, had found in Jerusalem, like the joy that, that all of those people at the, at the, the dispersion of the, of, the, of the believers from Jerusalem because of the death of Stephen going into all of these cities. And Philip with the joy that he encountered because of Christ going into the city of Samaria and preaching there. And that city being filled with joy because of him. What, what would it mean in San Antonio if whenever somebody said MacArthur Park Church of Christ, and he said, you know, that's the people of joy. That our church had the reputation in this community in the way that we worshipped God on Sunday mornings. And the way that we shared the Word and the way that we shared of our means and the way that we interacted with people and the way that we were, we were peace-loving and, and, and all of the things that we're called to do as, as light and as a mission into this city, it, our reputation, those are the people of joy. Joy is profound and we should never underestimate the power of joy. Amen? We're going to have some of our shepherds down here. And maybe that joy is not something that you've experienced in your own life. I want you to know that the only thing that is holding you back from that joy is you. God is ready to bless and to saturate your life and to drench your life with such blessing and with such meaning, with such and to change you so completely, not just the way you think politically or, or the way that you think on, on certain issues of morality, but to change you completely. It goes from your mind to your heart into your soul. He is so ready to change you.
And all you have to do is, is open up your heart, open up your hands, open up your mouth and say, yes. And in aligning your life up through baptism to the will of God and, and, and having your sins washed away because of what Christ did on the cross and in His burial and His resurrection and having your sins washed away and as you come up out of that water, it's, it's, it's new. And it's joy experienced. Joy experienced. If there are ways that we can help you connect to that, our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Maybe there's some other ways that we can pray for you or, or just counsel you, study the Word with you, to help you on this joy journey. Whatever it is, these shepherds are going to be down here at the front to, to greet you and to welcome you. That stand. And with joy in our heart, and with joy in our... In, in our in every, in every thought of the greatness of God's grace to us, with great joy, let's stand and rejoice. Agro would precious Lord, linger near.